If you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Last week, I took about half of the teaching time, sermon time, to lay the background for what Jesus is doing in this Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. And it was centered around those four words, I say to you. The I say shows Jesus' authority, and the to you, meaning to us, shows our response should be one of obedience and allegiance to him. So all authority over all nations, which demands all of our allegiance. And then I share with you specifically in this section of the sermon, Jesus is laying out for us six different pictures of how our lives should look as followers of Christ. And we said that in every one of these, he shows the unrighteousness of those who supposedly are acting righteously. It then brings us, especially when we see ourselves in that, to a point of realizing, man, if this is what Jesus demands, I can't do this on my own without his help. And then to hear him say, I'm sufficient for you. Be healed. Be complete. Be whole. And that's not a command for us to go out and work at being whole. It's him saying, no, I will make you able to do this if you'll just put your trust in me. So last week we talked about our words, the way we talk. Today we're going to look at how we retaliate, how we act toward other people. Because the thing that is difficult for us as Christians is just like everybody else in the world, we often get bullied. And I don't necessarily mean bullied just because of our faith. There are just people out there in the world that are mean-spirited. And they tend to want to, to bully us. And they tend to want to take advantage of us. And they do it with our kids. They do it with us at work. They do it in uh, neighborhoods and communities and clubs we join. They're just sometimes people that just want to be mean. And to be honest with you, there are also opportunities that we have at times to be tempted to do that. And so your child comes home from school and somebody's been mean to him on the playground and you know and so you're you're you, boy you want to tell him just knock his block off <laughs> and and yet you're thinking well I'm a Christian you know it says turn the other cheek it says go the extra mile so we feel like well the only other option we have is just to just to don't do anything about it just you know try to put up with him as best you can try to be nice to him and and see and I believe in this passage today as we read very carefully what Jesus says we are going to see a third option Retaliation, subjugation, or something else. Because you see, Jesus starts right here in verse 38 of chapter 5, saying what he has said every time in every one of these examples. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now let me explain that just for a second. In the Old Testament days, in the cultures of the Old Testament, when the eye for eye, tooth for tooth was given in the Old Testament, Typically, retaliation was done uh, more like that famous scene uh, in The Untouchables when Sean Connery says, if they pull out a knife, you pull out a gun. If they send one of yours to the hospital, you send one to the morgue. It was whatever they did to you, you did five times back to them to put fear in them so they wouldn't do it to you again. And so in order to control that, God gave the Israelites a rule. You, cannot, you can exact no more punishment on the person than whatever they inflicted on you. So originally that was designed to cut down on the amount of violence. But it was never God's intention to say this is what you ought to do. It was just saying you could do no more than this. Let me say that again. God didn't say this is what you should do. What he said is you should not do more than this. And there's a difference. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you ought to. So Jesus says in verse 39... But I tell you, don't resist 
an evil doer. Or don't retaliate against an evil doer, as some translations say. So Jesus says, I know that you can do this and still be within your legal right. But is it the right thing to do? And then Jesus gives us five examples. In this little short passage, he gives us five examples. Three of them deal with when we're the ones being abused. And two of them with when we have the opportunity to be an abuser, perhaps, to someone else. So now remember, what we're looking at is the Pharisees, the scribes, those who were supposed to be so righteous, had become so legalistic that whether they should or shouldn't, they always went to the exact letter of the law. If the speed limit said 35, they didn't go 55, but boy, they didn't go 30 either. They went exactly 35. They went as far as they legally could without any thought for whether it was right and proper or not. And Jesus says, I want to show you a better way. And by the time we finish these 30 minutes, I will have shown you a third option between retaliating, subjugating, in other words, just laying down and being a mat for people to walk all over you, and then Jesus' third option. So let's look at these three examples. The first one, he says, in the second half of verse 39, on the contrary, on the contrary to retaliating, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Sounds really simple. Somebody switch you on one cheek, one side, you just turn your face and say, hit me again. I can take it. But is that really what Jesus says? Is that really what Jesus wants us to do? Does Jesus want us just to let people beat us up unmercifully? If it is, I, well, I just don't think it is. <laughs> let me say that. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of times when we think to ourselves, you know, these demands of Jesus are impossible to keep. Well, they are hard, and we can't do it on our own. But I think we need to look more carefully. What does Jesus say in this passage? Look at it with me again. Look at this verse one more time. If anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, if I had somebody here to help me, I could, I could kind of show you. But let me, let me just get you. Take your right hand. I know you're out there in the beacon watching me on the video, but just go ahead and do it. Take your right hand. Put it on your right cheek right here. That's your right cheek. Okay. Now, think about a person standing facing you, and they're going to hit you on this cheek. Now, if they use their right hand to slap you, what cheek are they going to hit? Well, they're going to hit your left cheek, aren't they? I mean, think about it. If they're standing across from you, they reach back with their right hand, they slap you across the face, it would hit you on the left cheek. But Jesus very specifically said, if they strike you on the right cheek. Now, somebody will say, well, they hit you with the left hand. Well, I can tell you, in the first century, and in many cultures to this day, you would never hit someone with your left hand. You'd be worthy of death if you did that. There's only one other way to hit somebody on the right cheek with your right hand. It's like this, right? If I take my right hand, cross my body, backhand you across the mouth, I've hit you on your right cheek. Now, that's a very important thing. That's a very important concept because in Jesus' day, to backhand a person was to treat them as if they were a slave or a child. You never would fight with someone by backhanding them. Backhanding them meant that you thought that they were subservient to you, subject to you, beneath you. So what does Jesus say to do? Jesus says, okay, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, <clears throat> what do you do? Turn your left cheek to them. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what the subliminal message is to that. And that is, my brother... If you're going to strike me, 
you're going to strike me as an equal. I am not going to be treated like a child or like a slave. We are equals. Now, why would Jesus tell us to do that? I think there's a very important principle here, and you're going to see it in these other examples as well. There's a man by the name of Walter Wink, tremendous theologian, education professor, who calls this the transforming initiative. In other words, this person that backhands you like a slave, like a child, like a dog, has objectified you and not treated you as a person with feelings and with rights and with, 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 with a family and with uh, your own needs. They've just treated you like nothing but a slave, backhanded you. And so when you turn that cheek toward him, you're saying, I want you to stop and think a minute. Before you hit me again, I want you to think about the fact that we're equals here. You see, this was not designed to get him to hit you again. This wasn't designed to say, boy, you hit me the second time, I'm going to knock your block off. This was designed to say, stop, sir, and think about what you're doing. Stop, sir, and think about how you are treating another child of God, another Israelite, a brother, a sister in Christ. Transform the situation by taking the initiative to make them stop and think about what they're doing. All right, now hold that thought, because I want to get you to the second example. Look at verse 40. In verse 40, he says, As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Oh, well, that just says you just need to go over and above to help out. No, there's more to it than that. You see, in the Old Testament, if you didn't pay your debts, the law allowed a person to take away your inner tunic. Now, you've got to remember, and we've kind of dressed up in our costumes when we do biblical costumes in this way. You have a, 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 um, a one-piece tunic that you would wear over you with a hole in for your neck and two sleeves. And then over that, there would be a coat that would wrap and probably have a belt. Okay? In the Old Testament, it is very specific that you could be sued and they could take away that inner robe, but they could not take away your outer coat because this was maybe all you have to wrap up at night to stay warm. And so, if you were going to the law court, which normally was held at the city gate, you would come and if you knew that you were at fault, if you knew that you owed the money, and if, you were, uh, if, if, you're, if the one that, to whom you owe the debt says, I want your tunic, you would go to the city gate, you would have on your undergarments, and you would wrap up in your coat, and you would carry your tunic over your arm so that you could then present it to the person to whom the debt is owed. Now imagine just for a minute you walk in, and there you are in front of the judge, and here's the person to whom the debt is owed, and here you are, and they're going to take the shirt off your back. That's where we get that saying from, by the way, from this passage. And the judge says, Sir, are you ready to give this man your tunic? And you say, well, yes, sir. I have it right here. And so you hand it to him. And the man smiles and puts his show up and says, well, I guess I've got the best of this one. And then you say, by the way, you know what? That really goes so well with this. I'm just going to go ahead and give you my cloak, too. And you take it off, and you hand it over, and there you are standing in nothing but your BVDs. Now, how do you think things are going to look to all the passers-by going through the city gate when this happens? You say, well, Pastor, what in the world would be the purpose of that? Are you trying to embarrass the man? Well, maybe a little bit, but more importantly, trying to help this man understand that while he is legally capable of taking my tunic, is that the right thing to do to a brother Israelite, 
to a fellow Jew. And so by taking off his outer garment and literally embarrassing himself, he also causes this man to recognize, look at what you're doing, sir. Look at what you are doing to a brother, to a next-door neighbor, to a person who sits in the same pew with you on a Sabbath day, that sits in the same synagogue with you, that goes to the same temple that you go to. Is this really the right thing to do? Take the initiative to transform the situation and bring the truth to light. Don't forget, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Light reveals. Light brings to openness things that are hidden. You see, Jesus is trying to show that even though every one of these actions, slapping someone, well, you could slap them back, okay? They slap backhand you, you backhand them. You owe a debt, you give your tunic. But just because you can do it, doesn't mean you ought to do it, especially to a brother. Now the third example that Jesus gives us is one that is from the world of the day and the Roman Empire. Many of you know the background about this, but let me just share it with us so we all are on the same page. Verse 41 says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. In the Roman Empire, they were masters of building roads. Roads that still exist to this day, over 2,000 years later. They were built so well. And they developed a system that we still have in our interstate highway system to this day. You know what they are? Mile markers. That's right. Mile markers date all the way back to the time of Jesus. In the Roman Empire, they would mark off one mile and they would put a post. And the reason they did that was because if a Roman soldier was in an occupied country, he could commandeer one of the citizens of that country to carry his pack for one mile, not one foot, not one step more than a mile. So while the law was cruel to the subject people, it also was, I guess, at least in a certain sense, fair. You only had to go one mile. Then you hand his pack back, you got up, you went on back home, and another person had to pick it up and go from there. So now, let's take that picture and let's bring it to Jesus' words. You've been commandeered by a Roman soldier to put that pack on your back and carry it for him. He says nothing to you. You say nothing to him. You're nothing but a two-legged donkey. You are just a pack animal. You're not a person. You don't have a wife. You don't have kids. You don't have a, a farm. You don't have a business. You are nothing but his machine. And you walk. And you get to the end of the mile and he stops thinking you're going to take it off and you just keep on walking. He goes, hey, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, there's the marker. We've, we've reached our mile. You don't have to carry it anymore. And he said, that's okay. I'm good. Let's go. Now, let me throw one more piece of information to you, lest you misunderstand. If a soldier conscripted a subject person to walk more than a mile, the Roman soldier was subject to the death penalty. That's how strict Roman law was. Not one step could you make that person carry that pack. So I can imagine Romans going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I know what you're going to do. You're going to walk more. And then you're going to come back and say, I made you do it. I'm telling you, I'm not going one foot past this line. And you look back at him and say, oh, no, sir. I'm happy to carry another mile. I was going that way anyway. I'll just carry it for you another mile. And you look him in the eye and say, I would not do that to you, sir. 
You see what you've done? You've taken the situation and you've transformed it, Jesus says. So let me make sure that we understand each other. Jesus gives us three examples of people who've been taken advantage of by the law. Okay? The law that was taken rather than to help, to hurt. The law that was taken to extract things from people, not to give things to people the way God originally intended it. And Jesus says, if you are attacked, do not attack back. That is absolutely, there is no question that Jesus says, it is not our place. He says over the scriptures, say again and again, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But neither are we to just lay down and let people walk all over us and do whatever they want to, saying, okay, Lord, this is your thing. You told me, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. I guess I just have to sit here and take this. No, 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 no. Jesus says, here's what you do. You take the initiative to be light. To help that person change their perspective on what's going on in this situation. You take a situation where you are being abused, where it looks like, okay, this is the person with the power, this is the person with no power, and all of a sudden, guess who has the power now? You do. But not to hurt, but rather to heal and to help. So when you turn that other cheek, all of a sudden, you're in control of the fight now, aren't you? You take off your outer garment, you're controlling the situation. I can guarantee you that means we go, no, 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 put it back on, put it back on, it's over here, take your shoes back. And that soldier is going to look at you with a new look and say, no one has ever done this to me before, done this for me before. And all of a sudden, light comes into a dark situation. Now, we'll do the application to that in just a minute because I think we need to understand how that applies in our world. But before Jesus finishes, he says, by the way, there are going to be times when you have the opportunity to be the power broker. You have at least the opportunity to be the aggressor. And what should you do in that situation? And Jesus makes it extremely clear in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. So now you see how the tables have turned now? Rather than you being the one who's being abused, you have a person who is in a bad situation who is asking something from you. You're the power holder here. You're the one with the money that you could lend in exchange for the tunic. You're the one who could extract something from the other person. And Jesus says, okay, when you're the person, just give it to them. Don't lend it to them. Give it to them. But if they insist on borrowing from you, don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now that's the other side of the aisle, isn't it? That's the other side of the situation. So Jesus says, if you are in the situation where you have the opportunity to help someone, you see that they are in need, you see that they are struggling, you see that they have tried their best and they just can't seem to get over the hump, listen, when they come to you saying, is there anything you can do to help? Sure, it's perfectly within your right to have them sign a document and they will pay you back. Sure, it's in your right to demand that they come and sweep your kitchen or mow your lawn or, or trim your bushes or something in exchange. But Jesus says, look, just give to them. Now, I think there's a reason behind that. Because obviously, you know, as the Apostle Paul tells us later, nobody wants to impoverish themselves. We, we all want to be, 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 be lovingly equal with one another and help each other. Jesus' point is, again, this person that is asking, they have already denigrated themselves. They have already brought themselves down to the role of a beggar. And for you to reach them by the hand and say, listen, my brother, 
listen, my sister, you, you don't have to you don't have to do this. Let's transform this. We are two brothers. We are a brother and sister. We are two sisters. If I have it, I'm gonna get it. Is that not what James said? If you have two, the other one has none, you give them one. So Jesus says, transform the situation, whether you are the oppressed or whether you have the opportunity to be oppressor. Change the situation from one that is based on legalism to one that is based on love and grace. So how do we apply that in our lives today? What does that mean to us? You know, no matter what example I give, uh, if it comes out of theoretical things, we probably could poke holes in it. So we're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit to guide us. But let me just give you one example of a time that someone took an initiative with me to transform a situation. It was during the refugee crisis in Tanzania. And um, without going into a lot of details, we had been asked to go in and dig some pit latrines in a temporary shelter uh, for the refugees coming in. And we had dug the latrines. We had worked hard. We had worked fast. We had literally broken our backs getting these latrines dug. And there was a um, UNHCR representative from um, West Africa, and his rather arrogant African French uh, said to us that our latrines were inappropriate. They were insufficient. They were, they were three inches too narrow and four inches too shallow or something crazy like that. And I was furious. I was furious. I will tell you, I was, I was as close to godless as a Christian can be. I was so angry. I had worked, we had dug 24 pits in four hours. Six feet deep, six feet wide, or long, three feet wide. But we were three inches short. And I wanted to throw the shovel at the guy and say, then you dig the pits. And I was. I was stomping. I was furious. I was angry. I was not a good testimony for the gospel. I'm just going to be honest with you. And an Asian friend of mine who was a storekeeper, a Muslim, by the way, all that doesn't really matter. He was just a friend. <laughs> in typical Asian fashion, he came up to me and he said, you know, Pastor, these rains sure have made the roads awfully slick, haven't they? I tell you what, if you're not careful the way you drive, you could slip right off into a ditch. And my neck snapped, and I looked at him, and he smiled at me. You wouldn't want to slip off into a ditch now, would you? And tears welled up in my eyes. And I said, nope. Be awfully hard to get out of that ditch if I slipped into it. He said, especially if you slip into it by yourself. I took him by the hand and said, thank you, my friend. You see what he did? He took the initiative to transform that situation, to realize that this West African was just trying to follow his rules. And he was not a bad person. He was not a mean person. He was just trying to make sure the code of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees was being followed. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his problem. And I went back, put my hand on the man's shoulder. I said, I am so sorry that I was angry with you. Would you show me again how the pits need to be dug so we can get them done right? He smiled, actually embraced me, typical French West Africans, and said, yes, let me show you. And we dug them. It took us about another two hours, and they were done, and we were finished. And the next night, guess what? We all went out and had dinner together. Myself, the West African guy, and the Asian Muslim. We all went out and had dinner together and became new friends. You see, that's what a transforming initiative looks like. So, you may be in a situation where you are being, I'm just going to use the word bullied. I think that's probably the best generic term. You're just being bullied. It may be at work. 
It may be by a neighbor. It may be in the club you're a part of. It may be in the PTA. It may be with your kid's ball team. But you're just being bullied by somebody. And I mean every time you walk in, no matter what you do, you can't do anything right. And they are just berating and berating and berating you. Do you give them back as good as they give you? Not be a faithful follower of Christ, no. Do you just lay down and let them say whatever they want to say and figure sticking stones? No. Because you see, neither of those options help this person. You give them back what they give you, they'll just be that much meaner. You just let them walk all over you and they'll not see the error of their ways. What you do is you prayerfully find a way to initiate a transformation in that relationship. The closest thing I can come to, and I'll give you one more example and then we'll be done. The closest example I can come to was a person who has tended, and there's nobody, none of you, nobody in the church, just somebody out in the community, but has tended to be very, very unkind to me in a number of situations. I mean, just almost like he just looks for ways to be unkind to me. Well, then he became ill. Had to have surgery. Came to his house and we bought him a plate of cookies and he, of course, didn't come to the door. His wife came to the door and thanked me, and I asked how he was doing, and she shared. And I noticed about six weeks later, he was out on his back porch, and I um, went over, and he lit in. Boy, he lit in. About this, about that, about the other, about this, about that. And I'm sitting there, kind of my head bowed, and all of a sudden, the smile broke out of my face. And I looked up, and I said, so how's your recovery going from your surgery? He stopped, and all of a sudden, a face that was like this, having a tough time. I can't seem to keep my balance. I said, well, who's your doctor? And we began to talk. Before I left, his hand was on my shoulder. And do you know, to this day, to this day, he has not said another negative word to me or as far as I know about me. And when we see each other, we greet each other. Now, that is not, that is not to my credit. That's to the Holy Spirit who said, transform this, Steve. Take the initiative. Don't give him back as good as he gives you. Don't accuse him of coming over you know, uh, into your world. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Transform it with the love of Christ. Don't just sit there and let him do this to you, but transform it. So when we are the ones being bullied, Jesus said, I will enable you. Because I tell you, if you're like me and you go, okay, if that's what he expects, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I have a short fuse. I'm going to get angry. I know I will. So does he. So he says, now you be perfect. But not like, okay, go be perfect. It's like, I'm saying to you, be healed. Be perfect. Be complete. Rely on me. I have all authority. And I'll show you the way. And on the other side of that coin, every time you have the opportunity, every time you have the chance to show love and compassion for, to someone or for someone who you can tell is struggling, who humbles themselves to come to you and say, is there anything you can do to help me? Is there any way you could maybe give me some advice or whatever? You take the initiative to raise them up out of that humbled, subservient position and say, hey, you know what? I've been through the very same thing myself. God has blessed me here. Let me, let me help you. It could be financially. It could be with advice. It could be with, with whatever. Let them borrow your car. Whatever it may be. I don't know. And what that does is that then helps us to truly be salt and light in the world around us. 
And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Now, let's get out there and do it. Let's pray together. Father, our goal this year, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, is to be an inviting church. Not just inviting in the sense of inviting people to come to church or come to a Bible study or come to Team Kid, but also inviting in the sense of we are that kind of people. We are that kind of church. And in order for that to happen, they have to see something in us that is different from what they see everywhere else. And so, Father, maybe, maybe the turning point for some of us is going to be hearing what Jesus says in this passage. Because there is nothing inviting about retaliation. Power against power. Fire fighting fire. And there's really nothing inviting about being a Casper milk toast and just laying down and let people walk all over us. But there is something amazingly inviting about perfect love casting out fear and evil and darkness. There is something inviting about us taking the initiative to transform a situation whether we are the oppressed or potentially the oppressor. response is the kind of thing that will make people say I want what she's got because that's an inviting quality that I would like to have in my life and then we can invite them to come walk with us and learn from the one who taught us and that is your son in whose name we